Hey everybody, this is Josh McKinney, and I just want to welcome you to episode 75 of the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. You know, you can... Today, I get to share with you guys my conversation with Ryan Ford. If you guys don't know who Ryan Ford is, uh, you, you probably do, honestly. You probably may not recognize the name, but uh, what his work is, I'm sure most of you will recognize. And uh, he is the host of the Grappling Central podcast. A super, super cool guy. Uh, if you guys have not checked out that podcast, I, one, I would be very surprised. Uh, but if you haven't, uh, be sure to check it out. They, they have over 450, or I think close to 450 episodes. Uh, and he is, he, he's interviewed everybody. Uh, you really look at the body of work uh, I, I even asked him if there's anybody that he has not been able to interview and the list is very short. He really has gotten to have conversations with everyone. And if you think about it, uh, he probably has gotten to sit down and have more jujitsu conversations with more high level black belts than maybe anybody, uh, especially with the variety of black belts that he has had. Uh, when you think about that, a lot of people may have had a ton of conversation with black belts, but maybe only in their own affiliation. And so uh, getting to pick his brain after he's gotten to pick so many other people's brains uh, was really cool. It was really fun to get to do that. You're going to love this episode. Uh, Ryan is just incredibly, uh, just a great speaker and uh, his his opinions, his thoughts on jujitsu are, in my opinion, dead on. And, and also he's very funny and, and a very fun guy, very uh, very, it was very cool to be able to ask him questions and uh, get to hear his answers instead of uh, normally I just listen to a show where I, he's the one asking the questions. So it was really cool to get to do that and, and to get to have that conversation with him. I know you guys are going to enjoy this one. Uh, a, a big thing, and we, we talk about this on the episode at the very end, but uh, one of the big reasons that I wanted to have him on besides uh just having always listened to his podcast and his podcast being a big inspiration for me starting a podcast. Uh, it, he did a documentary last year and it's on YouTube. It is called The Saint of Crackland and it is uh, incredibly, incredibly moving. Uh, it's a really powerful thing. I, I watched it, uh, didn't have a ton of views at the time and I uh, just checked it out. I was just bored at home one day, watched it and uh, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh man, I really want to have this guy on the podcast. This is such a cool thing. It was specifically to me, somebody who loves jujitsu uh, and whose mother uh, came to America from a third world country and uh, really would not have been able to come to America if it wasn't for the help of other people. Uh, it really, really spoke to me. It was really, really cool. I think a lot of you guys would enjoy it. Uh, I don't want to give too much away about what it is uh, because it's it's done really well to 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 keep you interested. I think you guys will really really enjoy uh, watching the Saint of Crackland. Also, I think you guys will enjoy this episode. We we dig into that. We dig into why uh, Ryan started training and uh, just a lot of fun things. I, I really think a lot of people will dig his opinion on his kids training. I thought that was really interesting. I thought he had a really good answer for that. But before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to briefly thank 
uh, some of my new friends, uh, some of the new friends of the podcast, Crown Rash Guards, they uh, sent me some rash guards recently. And uh, I actually haven't gotten to tell you guys about them because I got sick and wasn't able to train. And uh, uh, But I finally got to try them and, and roll with them. If you are the type of guy that likes like really bright colored and uh, really over the top unicorn pink and purple rainbow rash guards, probably not the rash guard for you. If you're somebody who, like me, wears the same clothes or same color clothes every day and uh, uh, just likes things that are comfortable and uh, simple, crown rash guards are perfect. Uh, I, I think the price I was really surprised by uh, with the versus uh, how good of quality these rash guards were. Um, they they really have a, a good fit where you want there to be a good fit. I always hate rash guards that are really, really tight, like in your armpits, and then they're loose on your chest and they're tight on your belly. And just hate that, you know? And it was really nice to have actually have some rash guards that fit, felt comfortable, and uh, felt good the whole time I was rolling with them. And uh, like I said, the the price, the, the two for 60 bucks was really really a ridiculous price i thought and I, I think they give you free shipping too and so uh i would definitely check those out they have uh ranked rash guards they have all the colors uh all the adult belts and so uh be sure to check those guys out i think you guys will really enjoy those rash guards and without further ado let's jump into the episode all right, so I'm sitting down with my new friend, Ryan, from the Grappling Central podcast. Uh, Ryan, how are you doing, man? I'm great, Josh. I appreciate you having me on, buddy. Yes, thank you uh, for coming on the show. I was really excited when I got you on. As I told you before we started rolling, you uh, your podcast is really one of the, the inspirations of mine and one of the big reasons I decided I wanted to try podcasting. Oh, man, that really means a lot, buddy. Thank you for that. I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. For sure, man, for sure. So I, I just wanted to start out uh, with a really simple, basic question. I, I heard you on uh, the Jiu-Jitsu podcast when you were on, and uh, I, you had some pretty interesting thoughts on this, but I wanted to start out with, why did you start training Jiu-Jitsu? Oh, yeah, sure. So so I, I, so I've been involved in martial arts since I was a little kid, man. Uh, I, I was always, um, it started with a fascination of the Ninja Turtles when I was real little. And so uh, I was eventually jumping off the sofa and kicking things off coffee tables. So my parents were like, all right, we got to get this kid into like something. So they took me to the YMCA. Um, I started doing like a little kiddie karate class that eventually led me to doing like uh, Taekwondo as I, as I went through like elementary school and early middle school. And then, uh, and then around middle school, I kind of just quit training. I started, you know, getting into other, other things and, um, you know, a young guy just trying to figure himself out. And I just, I, I wanted to hang out with friends and talk to girls and at least try to anyway at that, at that age. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, so I just had other interests and, um, and then later in life, I started getting more into martial arts again, like kind of having the itch to train again. And, um, but it, when I was a kid doing Taekwondo, my, my dad and I used to go to the uh, video store that was next to the dojo. And they had a, uh, v, the, uh, it was all VHS tapes at the time. Yeah, this is about 94. Brian, and, I'm, tw uh, I'm 26. I don't know what the. That oh, is. okay. So they're these contraptions that are rectangular in nature. Yeah. So, oh, okay. 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 <laughs> so, uh, so, so the, uh, so they had all the UFC tapes, all the first UFCs. And, um, and so we watched them and, and I remember as, as a kid thinking like, man, that Hoyce Gracie guy, he's doing this, like, he's the skinniest guy on there. And like, and I was a real small skinny kid my whole life. I was very small for my age up until I was like 22. And, um, 
And I, I remember just thinking like, dad, I want to try to find jujitsu. Like I want to try, like, I want to do that instead of Taekwondo. And we looked around and at the time there was just nothing. We were in Atlanta. There, there was nothing at the, t- at the time there yet. And, um, and so as I got older, I started kind of getting back into watching MMA and uh, you know, it, it, this is before, way before the ultimate fighter show to where it really kicked off and went mainstream. So I was watching like old pride, uh, pride DVDs and uh, you know, old UFC stuff. And, um, and eventually I was able to find a place um, in town that taught jujitsu. So I signed up and I, I initially had the inspiration to, to pursue MMA, but the more I was doing jujitsu, the more I was just like, man, I'm so into just this facet of, of, of MMA that I, I think I'm just going to keep riding this jujitsu wave. And that's kind of how it all started for me. So you, you got into jujitsu before that, right before your uh, initial jujitsu, you're watching the UFC. Was there any backyard wrestling, garage fights, anything like that? <laughs> it's almost like you've read my bio, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who who you been talking to? Yeah, I, yeah, just, we... uh, I just know if you watch, I mean, it, it's like with anything. You you watch Teenage Ninja Turtles, you're you're gonna be trying to cut people in half with, uh, you know, like. Uh, uh, rolls of gift wrap and stuff like that, pretending you're Leonardo with a sword. I think with uh, with UFC, it's the same way. You see it, and you're like, "We should, we should do this. We should do, we should want to go do karate in the garage." That's so great, dude. It's really common. So does, it, that is something that was happening with you. You have a good perception, man. Yeah. So, so the other thing that I was equally into as a kid uh, was professional wrestling. It was martial arts and it was professional wrestling. And so I was um, a funny, funny fact about me. I was convinced from the age of about eight years old until almost almost all the way through high school, even that I was going to pursue professional wrestling. I was going to actually, there was a school in Florida called uh, the Dory Funk wrestling school. Is it, I don't know if you know, Terry Funk. Yes, I know who Terry Funk is very well. Yeah. So Dory's brother has had a professional wrestling school in Florida. Uh, and, and my goal was to make enough money to get myself down there. And uh, of course, you know, life, life took me in different directions, but, um, but I was huge into professional wrestling and, uh, and my brother and I used to do backyard wrestling we, with our friends. So we have some old uh, tapes somewhere locked away safely in storage where hopefully the world will never see them but uh but yes i did that for a long time and uh and, and it's kind of funny because you know uh, with with you know i was i was such a huge fan of pride fighting I, I feel like pride fighting was kind of like the golden era for me anyways of mma and i know there's all kinds of freak show stuff and steroid accusations and yakuza involvement and all that so i know it's not like the most clean organization ever but i just i loved pride and pride you know in japan they had such a, a close tie to like new japan wrestling mm-hmm. and 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 pride so, so there's like a lot of pro wrestlers. Well, like for example, Sakuraba, Sakuraba was a pro wrestler and who, who crossed over and, and decided to fight. And, um, you know, so there was a lot of tie in with that. And I think that's what sort of re sparked my interest in MMA again, just as I kept, I kept, um, seeing that correlation with pride. And then, uh, yeah, then I just fell back in love with really getting into, uh, obsessed with watching MMA again. And that really, I think re sparked, rekindled my, uh, my, my, my interest in pursuing martial arts myself again. So. It's funny that you say that because for me, my real, uh, my, my mom made me start jujitsu, but uh, I was going to use jujitsu to um, be a submission guy in professional wrestling. Nice. Uh, I thought that, yeah, I thought growing up, you know, I started at 14, but I was pretty sure even till um, 15, 16, even when I knew I wanted to pursue jujitsu more and I was really enjoying it, I still always planned on being a professional wrestler. I just oh, was, amazing. I was sure that that was going to be uh, the go-to who are your favorite wrestlers growing up? Oh man. Uh, so as a kid, ultimate warrior, Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper, 
um as i got older um man who were some of my favorites as i got older um i guess bret hart bret hart as i got older sean michaels was someone i really liked um i'm trying to think from wcw because i watched this we're here we're here in atlanta so wcw was really big here oh too. yeah that was, yeah, that was um, huge. Yeah, in fact, yeah in fact when the nwo wcw thing started i almost completely got away from watching wwf well wwe now but um so i'm trying to think my favorite guy oh sting sting was like as oh, a kid, yeah. St- sting was like one of my favorites yeah yeah and uh and i'll tell you who else i really liked man and it's kind of it's it, this this kind of um ties in with 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 anyone that's a that's a jujitsu or grappler uh grappling practitioner uh dean malenko do you remember dean malenko i do the man I, of a thousand holds yeah so i used, <laughs> I, used to, I used to mimic his 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 submissions uh specifically the texas cloverleaf that was that was good i think that probably would have been my my main submission if i uh if i had gone the route of uh of pro wrestling but uh yeah, yeah I, mean, I i argue you could still use the texas cloverleaf in jiu-jetsu too you know i've you... been i've been saying that i think you can in fact i think i think uh uh i think josh barnett has a video out somewhere uh-huh. demonstrated so, it working see that's what i'm saying if you help with the kids class at your gym you'll be able to hit those type of submissions <laughs> on all the kids they have no chance uh, I legit, to, I, I legitimately, I legitimately landed a Boston crab one time on a friend of mine <laughs> and he was kind of like, dude, what was that? And I was like, that's, that's, that's a BS move. I'm like, well, you were, you were teaching the <laughs> seminar on it. Like everyone was <laughs> gathering around. This is, yeah, it works every time. That's yeah, my, it's my Boston crab system. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you still watch wrestling now? You know, dude, I, tr- I've tried to tune in and like, I hate to sound like an old man shaking his fist at the clouds or whatever, but I, I just, I can't get into the new wrestling, man. I, I don't know. It, it's, they've gone super, um, like storyline driven with it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, and the other things, I don't know anybody, like, I don't know who anyone is. And so like, there's a few people still around that I, that I recognize, but, um, you know, I stopped watching wrestling regularly, probably around like 2000 two maybe 2001 2002 i stopped watching completely and uh and since then i come back now and there's i I just i don't know who anyone is and i mean i can always appreciate like a good performance or whatever but um but yeah not not really like when i do try to sit and watch it's it's it's, it feels real um i don't know man it feels really soap opera e Mm -hmm. you know that's a word it is now i guess um yeah so i I don't know how about do do you watch do you watch a lot currently too I'm the same in the same boat. I feel like yeah. when you lose, uh, really, when you lost Stone Cold and you lost The Rock, you really lost your two main draws. Yeah. And uh, it's hard to, uh, there, there's just nobody that's really captivating that, you know, makes you sit and say, hey, I'm going to stay up and watch the main event. And yeah. so I just can't, I can't get into it. I still, uh, occasionally I'll still turn it on. My wife will make fun of me, you know, <laughs> the usual. And, uh, but very seldom do I ever watch it anymore. Yeah, it's it, it's. I'll tell you one of my favorite things on YouTube to sit down and if I ever go into like a YouTube wormhole is uh is pulling up videos where they'll they'll do this cool thing nowadays where, where like at Royal Rumbles and things like that they'll they'll randomly bring back someone from like twenty years ago. Uh huh. So like 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 I think they've brought back like Gold Dust and Diesel and um, <laughs> God who else has come out? Uh, there's been several people that they bring out randomly like as a complete surprise like that they didn't announce they're showing up and it's some guy that you and I watched guys. Kids, uh-huh. you know? it's like oh well, my god dude yeah. and they've gone i i mean i i'm going we're going very deep into pro wrestling and very far back to when <laughs> i would watch it but i've seen when they've had uh like hacksaw jim duggins on and stuff like that yeah. more recently than you would expect hacksaw jim duggins to be <laughs> wrestling 
Dude, I'll, t- I'll tell you that, that, that what's hard as, as being a, a longtime pro wrestling fan um, is is all the guys that die, man. Like oh, these yeah. guys, these guys don't live past 50, like almost none of them. Like like the fact that Ric Flair is still up and going is, is just I mean, it's, it's excellent. because I love Ric Flair, but it, it's amazing. He's still going him and Hogan. And um, but I mean, like, dude, everybody else has died, man. Like Roddy Piper died. Big Boss Man died. Bam Bam Bigelow. I mean, it's just the list is British Bulldog. I mean, all these guys they pass away before they're like 50. And I don't know, I guess you got to figure it's the stuff they're putting in their bodies. Um, but man, it's, it's depressing when you sit back and like, you know, you're looking, you're watching like old YouTube footage of, of, you know, wrestling, like nostalgic wrestling videos. And you're like, Hey, where is he now? And you look him up, it's like, Oh, he died in 97. Like, damn dude. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like no one seems to be alive anymore. Really? So I, I think that that is uh yeah, it really is. You know, I, I, I remember even being young and seeing wrestlers that, you know, were even had quit wrestling 10 years ago and they were, they were dying. And so you, you do, you do have to wonder if it is the stuff that they put in their body. I kind of, um, it kind of brings up an interesting topic that we can maybe turn it back to jujitsu a little bit. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. do you, what is, what are kind of your thoughts, your opinions, or you've gotten to talk to a lot of different people. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, kind of the steroid use in jujitsu? Well, I think, I think that steroid use in general is, is not okay. I mean, it's obviously, first of all, the the number one thing above, above it being fair. Like if we, if we set aside the argument of cheating and fairness, it's terrible. It's terrible for your body. I mean, you should Mm -hmm. never, you should never, you know, you put things in your system that are going to slowly kill you just so you can have a, a nice benefit right now. Um, but then as far as the cheating and fairness thing, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I think that, I think that if you're, if you're in a situation where you're competing with people who are not using something because they're following the rules, uh, and you're breaking the rules and using it, um, then obviously that's, you know, you're cheating. That's not fair. Um, if, if you're competing in a situation, like for example, in pride, we go to go back to pride fighting, it was pretty well known that guys were, were juicing in pride. Yes. And, 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 you know, and there's stories that, that even of people I've interviewed, uh, that have said that they basically used to even walk around with, you know, a doctor used to walk around like, Hey, do you need something? Do you, what, what do you want? What do you like? What do you need? You know, like backstage. Or at weigh-ins and stuff, and so, so I, I think that it's one thing if you're in a in a thing where everyone is sort of unanimously agreeing, like, hey, this is, you know, where we are here in this country with this rule set, you can do this. Then the argument for me would just be, well, okay, fine, but it's still awful for your body, and if you're an athlete, you probably shouldn't do that because it's going to have long-term effects on you. But the cheating thing, I guess, goes away if if everyone is unanimously saying, "Hey, in this particular country, in this particular league, it's okay to do, and it's in the rules says it's okay." So then you can make the decision whether or not, if you're a clean athlete, whether or not you want to participate. So if you so if you're participating in um in a uh in, in an organization where where it's against the rules and and it's uh you know not okay, and or if you're in a country where it's illegal and you're deciding to use it, then I mean you're absolutely cheating. It's it's it, I disagree with it completely. Yeah, and you said something. You said uh, uh, is the the benefit right now. That's something I always kind of point back to. Is it's kind of the opposite of the martial arts mentality. You're trading um, poss- the possibility of health tomorrow uh, for the possibility of winning today. And I think that that seems to be um, something. And I guess I don't know if people just make their peace with that or they try to ignore that. You know, there is a lot of you look at you don't see a lot of ex bodybuilders that are 65, you know, you don't see a lot of, a lot of guys that, that steroid use a lot of um, sports that steroid use uh, ran rampant and you don't see these guys living long lives. And uh, yeah, it's something that always, uh, always kind of is what I point back to 
with the steroid thing. Uh, just yeah. while I had this uh, for later, but while we kind of can be on the topic, uh, you you have a young daughter now. Um, how, how old is your daughter? Uh, she's 15 months. She's 15 months. <laughs> what are your kind of thoughts for your daughter training? Is that something you're going to try to hopefully push towards or you're just going to kind of see if, you know, she wants to, you know, be cool or not? Yeah, no, great question, man. So no, so first of all, uh, being a dad, it's just the coolest thing that's ever happened to me, man. It's I, I was always really kind of like between you and me. Well, I guess between everybody now, uh, <laughs> we, uh, I was always nervous. I'm the only one who listens to the podcast. So it's just between you and me. <laughs> so the, uh, I was always nervous about being a dad. I was always like, man, you know, like, cause you know, there's still so much about life that I'm trying to learn and figure out. And uh, it's like, man, how am I going to teach someone else to, to, to traverse this world when I'm still don't when I still don't have all the answers. And, uh, and, and so there's a lot of, I don't know. I think, I think that when you find out you're going to be a dad it, you go through this whole wave of like, Oh my God, am I even prepared for this? Like, am I qualified to, to be raising another human being? <laughs> and, uh, but man, once you, once you have, it's just, it's just the coolest thing ever. I, I think you really do go through like a biological shift within yourself. I think it's just part of our, part of our nature as humans. But, um, but anyways, um, yeah. So my point is I, I absolutely love love being a dad every day is just a blast and my daughter is just the funnest little kid um but as far as jujitsu this is something that i've contemplated a lot um so i think it's one thing that that irritates me in jujitsu and not just jujitsu but in, in sports in general is seeing parents who push their kids like way too hard mm -hmm. uh into any activity like growing up i played hockey and stuff like that and there's always like hockey dads and there was like you know even like in baseball there was always kind of the dad that was you know your randy marshes if you watch south park that used to uh -huh. you know, fight the <laughs> argue with the other dads and <laughs> argue with the ump it's like oh my god dude it's like a seven-year-old baseball game will you take it easy so so, uh, so, so I would never want to be, I guess I would never want my kid to feel like somehow I'm pressuring her into doing something that she doesn't really deeply want to do. Um, but at the same time, the jujitsu is a little different. And the reason jujitsu is a little different is because unlike baseball or soccer or ballet or whatever it is she wants to do, jujitsu is an extremely important life skill uh, just with the, the, the idea of being able to defend yourself. Um, mm -hmm. And as, as a girl, I think that it's, even more important for her to know how to defend herself and to, you know, to be able to escape someone grabbing her arm or, or, or being disrespectful to her physically and things like that. So, so, so for, so I'm kind of at this, I'm kind of at this weird, um, I guess I'm kind of on the fence as far as whether or not I really want to make her do jujitsu or try to just sort of coerce her into enjoying jujitsu because I'm doing it and hopefully, hopefully hoping that she'll, you know, take feed off of that energy and say, well, if my dad's doing it and it's fun for him, maybe I should, you know, participate too. Um, I think that, I think the, the, the decision I've come up to now is that I think it's, it's probably going to be mandatory in my house that all my kids have at least purple belts in jujitsu. I like and I, and it. I, I like yeah. It. And I, yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not ever going to make them compete. Like they don't have to do, do tournaments. They don't have to do anything. And they don't have to necessarily train every single day but a couple times a day a couple times a week at least um is going to be just a mandatory thing and it's all and then the other thing too is i think it's important that parents ensure that their kids are healthy and in shape too like mm -hmm. i don't want i don't think it's okay personally speaking i mean you know, I'm, I'm a very live and let live kind of guy but personally i don't think i'm doing a good job as a parent if my kids are getting really overweight if they're playing video games all day if they're eating crappy food if they're never you know if, if my kid runs up the steps and gets winded and out of breath that, in my opinion that i've failed as a parent if, if, if i'm seeing those kinds of things 
Um, other people can live the life the way they want. That's just me personally. So that kind of goes hand in hand with this is that I also want to make sure that she's healthy. I want to make sure that she's in shape. I want to make sure that she's, um, you know, uh, that she lives a long time that she, you know, feels good about herself and everything. So, so I think that, I think that the purple belt marker is important because, you know, if you're, if, in my opinion, if you have six months of jujitsu training and you get into an altercation with someone that has no training, you have, you have an advantage, even with six months, even if you're like a, a one, one or two stripe white belt, you at least know something, you know, things you have, you have a plan for most people, a fight or, or a self-defense situation is just complete pandemonium. And, and it's just, you know, swinging for the fences and hoping for the best, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that if you have some, something that you know how to do, you, you, you're, you're above most people. Um, but then when you get to the point where you're like a blue belt and you start to be in, you know, a pretty good blue belt, now you're even higher up above the average guy. But when you get to be a purple belt in jujitsu, man, you know, most people on the street that don't train are, 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 are not going to be able to have an easy, have just have their way with you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you're a superhero and you can kick everybody's ass, but it, it does mean that I think that you're going to be significantly more prepared than most people on the street to, to defend yourself. And, and, and at the very least, if someone's trying to, you know, grab you or kidnap you or throw you in a van, you're going to be a pretty hard person to kidnap. If you're able to break grips and slip positions and reverse things and run away, you know, so, so, so I, that's why I think a purple belt is kind of a good marker to make mandatory for my kids, but I'm hoping I don't have to make it mandatory. I'm hoping it's just like, Hey, everybody, come on, we're gonna go do jujitsu. And they're all like, yay. You know, so, <laughs> so we'll see. That's what, kind of what I'm hoping for, but it might also be the kind of thing where I'm like, all right, come on at six o'clock. Let's go, let's go, let's go get in the car, you know? So, so we'll see. But, uh, but yeah, I, I was always on the fence. I'm glad you asked about that. Cause I, it's something that I think about a lot and I'm always kind of, I was always on the fence about it until I started to really weigh the benefits of what jujitsu does. Um, and so now I, I think it probably is just going to be a mandatory thing. So and that makes sense. Cause as a parent, you know, your job is to kind of set your child up for success to the best of your ability. Yes. And, uh, you've been around jujitsu long enough. I've been around jujitsu long enough. Probably a lot of the people listening, you get to see these benefits, um, that, you know, the, the area that we, that, that my gym is in, uh, you know, I get a lot of younger guys at 20 years old and it changes their life in a few years. Um, it just gives them a purpose and it gives them a sense into, uh, to not to, to know the effect that it can have on people and, uh, not really, not, not, you know, I, I, I don't use that word push like in a negative way, but not try to at least guide your children to that, uh, would, would be very, uh, would almost be doing a disservice in my opinion, you know? And, uh, so I think, does, does your wife train? No, she doesn't. She, so, so she, she, um, she, she thinks jujitsu is cool. And when I, when I, on the instances that I have taught her some things, she, she enjoys it and she actually catches on pretty quickly too. I mean, she's, she, she, she learns well. Um, but no, she doesn't actively train. I, I think part of that with her is just that she, um, she, she would prefer that there was a class full of women. I think, I think that mm-hmm. when she goes to the Academy and sees, guys sweating all over each other and you know someone so occasionally has the busted nose and has to run off the mat and everyone cleans up the blood and stuff you know on the rare occasions um i think that's kind of turned her off for like yeah i don't know if i want some dude like you know 
like mounting on top of me and sweating all over me. It's not mm-hmm. too appealing for her, but I, you know, we, so we, we were living in Brazil um, all last year and, uh, and I was training to uh, Damian Maya's and Damian has a, uh, a big women's only class. And so there was times where if, you know, my wife was pregnant last year, that's it's where my daughter was born. So she couldn't train at that time, but she was looking at the classes um, and saying like, you know, see, if I had classes like this, I would probably do jujitsu. If it was like all women like this, I would be way more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping that someday we can find something like that for her at our academy here in Atlanta. I trained at a Creighton MMA, uh, Penzo Gracie, Atlanta. And uh, there's a, there we have, we have women in, in, on the team. It's just not, not a big women's, not, not big enough to have like a full women's class. I don't think. Um, so hopefully someday that changes. And, 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 you know, if we end up back in Brazil in the future, maybe, maybe my wife will be able to jump into a women's class, but, um, but in answer to your question, no, she, she does, she doesn't train yet, <laughs> but I'm, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still trying. <laughs> I, I, Ryan, I get it. I have uh uh, my wife has been very off and on uh, with training and it's like something I never pushed, but obviously something I've always wanted because it's fun to uh, get to enjoy something, you know, with your spouse and yes. uh, you know, in looking at it, kind of the thing that got my wife really into it again was uh, one of the moms, uh, her husband trained three of her, her, all three of her kids trained and she had wanted to come into class. And she was like, I just, we literally have no girls. We have a ton of guys at our gym and it just is hard to, you know, a girl comes and tries it. And she's like, I'm the only girl. And um, so this girl wanted to try out class. And I told my wife like, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe you could just come to one class with her and just help her out. You've trained a little bit. And she kind of came in and of course, you know, I, I was just trying to get my wife to train, you know, it was just an excuse. But uh, when we, you know, she, she came in and that really just having somebody uh, like you going through what you were going through uh, in the gym and in training, it's just such a difference. You know, it makes, um, you know, it seems to make such a difference for, for people. I always notice that that, that can be really hard. Uh, some gyms have a really good women's program, uh, but it's hard to start out. It's really hard to build that program. Yeah, it seems like it. it, it it's it's weird because, um, you know, I, I I would love for her to be able to just train with me um, to get her comfortable. But, you know, we have an apartment and we don't have like a lot of space and stuff. So there's not really anywhere for us to like go together necessarily. Um and, uh, you know, with this whole COVID thing, I, you know, if it, if it wasn't for that, there might be days that we could go to like an open mat and I could just bring her in with me and kind of get her used to some of the basics and get her comfortable, get her a little more comfortable with it. But I think there's always going to, there's always that barrier where she just, you know, she doesn't want to train with a lot of guys necessarily that mm-hmm. might be, you know, kind of sweating all over her and stuff. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's too bad that there aren't more like big women's programs, but I think that um, I think that, you know, the sports grow, the, the art is, is growing so much that I think it's, it's only a matter of time before we see more and more women getting involved and, and to the point where it's going to be, you know, where we can totally have full women's classes in every school, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I think those times are coming. I agree. So you said, you just, you caught yourself saying uh, sport over art. What what do you consider jujitsu, a sport or an art? What, it's when bo- you it's, think about it, it's both. It's both. Uh, yeah, I, I I love I love both the art and the sport of jujitsu. Um, mm-hmm. and and it's 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 something that uh, that I've dedicated my life to pursuing. Um, I've had um, I started my first class in September of two thousand five. And I've had some breaks in between for you know, school. Uh, I've attempted college back in the day. And of course, now I've had a year, almost a year off because of COVID um, from, from the academy anyways. But, uh, but it's, it's, it's been my, my life's pursuit. I mean, it's, 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 it's my ultimate therapy. It's my, 
it's it's everything for me i mean for for you know for my personal pursuit um but um i treat it very much as both man i i, th- I think that there's, there's there's a great sport aspect to it and then the art of jujitsu itself is just this thing that you can do forever mm-hmm. um and I think, I, I guess that's where I separate it in my head is that there's, there's, there's the sport that you can pursue, uh, and, and, and try to, um, develop yourself through competition. And then of course, there's just the art of jujitsu where you just go to the Academy every day. And it's, it's a, it's something that you're trying to get better and better at every day. You're trying to suck, suck a little less every day. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's, that's why I think it's important to, to, to remember that it's not just a sport. Cause I think sometimes what happens with people is when, if you get in, involved in jujitsu thinking like, Oh, cool, I'm going to become a competitor and I want to, you know, get out there and, and do tournaments and win worlds. That's awesome. That's a, it's a great motivator to get in and train. And, and, and obviously you can, you can have great, a great time doing that. You can make great friends. You can travel the world. It's awesome. Um, but it's also important to understand that, Hey, that's not, you know, it's not forever. It's, it's not that you can compete and, 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 you know, win titles forever. Eventually you're going to hit a point where you're, you know, your life changes. You, you start a family, maybe your career uh, takes, takes off and really consumes a lot of your time or your body breaks down and you just can't really compete much anymore. It's important to know that, Hey, that doesn't mean that your training ends. You know, you, you, there's this art that you can always pursue until your last day. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, I think that sometimes if, if someone only sees themselves as a competitor, when competition ends for them, jujitsu ends. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's important for people to know that, man, no, that's, that's not the end, man. Keep going. There's, there's so much, there's so much more to this art that you can always be pursuing, you know? And, and on a different note, just as a, if you're only a competitor, if that is where, uh, you know, is what you care about. A lot of times what happens is your identity comes from whether or not you win and yes. uh, for so many of these guys it's just uh it's very hard because nobody wins all the time you yeah. know you you eventually even even the best guys eventually they're become new the best guys and uh you know i always you know as a an adult black belt uh competitor i always say uh, i am a hobbyist still i this is just what i love to do this doesn't you know, if I couldn't compete ever again for whatever reason, but I was still able to teach and, and train, it really wouldn't even affect me negatively that much, to be honest. It's just uh, uh, just being around jujitsu, the camaraderie you get with it. That is uh, it, the part of the art that I think is beautiful. But then uh, it is fun to compete at, in the sport and uh, get to be involved in the sport too. Uh, and, and you could really argue that the the sport aspect of jujitsu really drives the art aspect i mean when i am getting my students ready for a big tournament a local tournament even uh, that is when our classes are fullest uh, it's because these guys are motivated to to get that and so they do kind of go hand in hand uh, and it, it's really fun to be able to see that Absolutely, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny, like sometimes I'll talk to people uh, uh, who are, who are, I guess, not jujitsu people and, and they'll ask like, oh, well, like, tell me about like your, your matches. It's like, are you, are you like, are you undefeated in jujitsu? I'm like, I just laugh. I'm like, dude, I'm like, I've lost more than I've won, man. But, it, and, and then so they can, but then I said, but that's the same for everybody. Like most people, if you look at st- the, the statistics of, of competitors over time, even like, like you said, even the best guys lose, man, they, they maybe have a better win to loss ratio than everybody else, which is what makes them the greatest you know um but man everybody loses and i explained to people outside of jujitsu that it's kind of like that one of the big differences with jujitsu and other in other combat sports um let's take boxing for example 
boxers, generally speaking, they get to pick their opponents usually, unless they're mm-hmm. in some sort of tournament. You get you you have a, a manager or, or maybe your coach, and 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 they usually decide what fights make sense for you and what fights don't make sense for you. Uh, and the same goes for can go for MMA. But in jujitsu, man, if you sign up at Worlds, like dude, you, there's no like you don't get to choose who you compete with in the tournament. You know, like you you go with everybody, and and that is going to naturally, you know, just by nature that that's going to cause uh more difficult matches to come your way and, and more law lo- and more losses as a result um but you know the, the idea is to just always do your best and try to bring your win ratio as high as possible but mm-hmm. if you if you look at everybody the greatest in the world man ever everyone takes losses man it's just, it's just it's not that kind of sport where you can go in there are no like floyd mayweathers in uh in in, in jujitsu because by nature jujitsu just doesn't quite work that way it's 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 a different animal you know um and you know i, I love what you were saying too about about the idea of of keeping the mind of a hobbyist always and and, and that's something that uh that i've sort of embraced now too is i at the end of the day i think the best thing that jujitsu does for me is is it's therapy it's it's a relief of stress um it's a um it gives me a purpose to kind of to kind of always be pursuing something within myself um and uh and yeah i mean i mean i think it's important to, to to keep things in perspective i think that if you're always thinking like oh man like you know i never got to win a world championship or this and that it's like dude neither did most people that's like <laughs> you, you're talking about like 0.1 percent of the population in jiu-jitsu that wins world championships that's like almost nobody like you you have thousands and thousands and thousands of people and you have thousands of people starting jujitsu for the first time today that most of them will never win a title like that either so like don't don't get tied up in you know what i mean like my friend brandon mccatherine from uh, from 10th planet down in um down in alabama he he i heard him talking to chewy the other day uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, he said it perfectly man he says dude if you're if you're not doing if you're not a full-time athlete like if you don't have sponsors and your job is to train and compete all day every day um you're, you're playing pickup basketball mm-hmm. it, you're, you're going in and you're just you're just you're hanging out with friends and you guys are doing this activity and you're having fun and then you go home and at the end of the day you just you know you got to work out you got uh you learn some things uh, you got a little bit of humble pie, probably if you train in a good place mm-hmm. and, uh, and that, and that's what it's about. And, and I, I think that's, I think that's a great way to think of it is just to always keep things in perspective, you know? And it, it intends really the first lesson that you learn in jujitsu is how to lose. Uh, yes. you know, we may be taught other things, but, uh, it's actually something that I kind of, uh, I think as a coach, you, you kind of can forget things, you know, you, you forget after having trained for a long period of time, cause you stop losing as much. Uh, but uh, now, like I said, my wife is training again. And so I get to experience that again of, yeah, tonight I just, I lost a bunch and I need to, you know, and now I'm frustrated about it. And so like uh, you're learning, it, it's the same, but it's in, in everything, anything you learn, you're learning how to do it bad at first. Uh, if you go and you're going to learn to swim, you have to learn to almost drown, you know, like that yeah. is part of swimming. And you know, for whatever reason, when it's a combat sport and it's a win or a loss, we really treat it uh, a lot differently than it's like, oh, yeah, I'm almost able to keep my head above water. You know, oh, that's something you should be proud of. Like in jujitsu, they a lot of times it's not thought of as, uh, oh, you should be proud that you almost didn't get submitted in one round tonight. But in truth, you should because you are learning and you are getting better. And that's all you're trying to learn when you start out uh, training jujitsu is that just how to lose. And uh, I think that that is uh, just probably a lesson that you can get in life and everyday life and probably in, you know, most people's job. 
And uh, speaking of that, uh, your job is a very interesting one. You are full-time uh, the host of the Grappling Central podcast. Am, am I correct in that, that that is your that is, yeah. I've been I've been doing this full time for uh, four and a half years now. Yeah, I launched the podcast. Uh, actually, I know it's two thousand. Uh, well, I, yeah, I guess I, I still have another year before it's six years. It's been five years, and uh, and I've been doing it full time for four. Yeah. That. So, what got you started into podcasting? Yeah. So, man. Uh, so basically. Um, I was working, so you have to know a little bit about my past because it, 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 it does all tie together. So something, something about me, I was, I dropped out of high school. Um, I had, and that's in, in, in to, to touch on your last point that you were saying about, about the things that jujitsu does for you, that kind of ties in with this too. Some, some, something that, that I think the biggest thing jujitsu has done for me as a human being is, is taught me to face difficulty. I, I, I was always someone that shied away from things if they were going to be stressful or too difficult. And it caused me, um, to be a mentally weak person for a long time uh, growing up. And it caused me to have a lot of lack of confidence in myself. And I think it ultimately is what caused me to get into trouble a lot as a kid. It was just, I was just kind of an angry kind of kid. And, um, and so, you know, I was, I was in and out of the you know, juvenile court system. I was in boys homes and stuff as a kid. And I eventually dropped out of high school. And then I started training jujitsu and it started, it started giving me, um, more comfort with difficulty and, and, and problem solving. And, and rather than just, you know, avoiding something because I, because it took work, I, I, I embraced it and tried to get through it. And, um, and so with all that said, the reason I, the reason I, I bring all that up is it does kind of tie into this of how I got into podcasting. So I was, because of, a, because I was a high school dropout, um, I was always pretty limited in what I could do for work. Um, I, I would work in warehouses. I would work, you know, entry level kind of things uh, well into my twenties. And, um, and I, then I also got involved in, uh, in balancing. I, I worked security here in Atlanta at different um, clubs and bars and stuff for a long time. And, uh, and eventually I, I got out of that and I ended up in a position where I was working in an office through a friend of mine through jujitsu. And, uh, and he was doing what's called fiber optic drafting. And what that basically is, it, it sounds fancy, but it's, it's boring as all hell. It's basically, you have a Google map. Uh, you imagine you're sitting in a cubicle, you have a Google map in front of you, and you're basically drawing with, um, with a program that looks kind of like, like Microsoft Paint, sort of, uh, where you're drawing these lines on the street maps of, of, of whatever city you're, you're mapping out. And you're basically telling them on a blueprint where to install fiber optic cables to different businesses, neighborhoods, and, and residences, right? And so this company we worked for, they, they were contracted with AT&T and Comcast and Cox Communications and all these other things. And so I was just sort of just the very entry level like uh, guy that was learning how to draft uh, these maps for the people out in the field to, you know, where they need to dig holes into the ground and install fiber optic cables. And so, as you can imagine, after about, you know, 10 hours a day of that for months on end, you, you, you really, your brain, my, my brain just started to bleed basically out of boredom. And so, and so I would listen to music and stuff while I'm doing it, but eventually I exhausted all my, all my, uh, all my playlists and everything to where I'm hearing the same songs, like for the 10th time, you know? And so I was, I was complaining about it one day, uh, you know, not seriously, but I was kind of like, man, it's, man, I wish I could like watch something or listen to something interesting or, or yeah, I've, I've, all these songs I have, like, you know, and my, and my guy, uh, my guy next to me says, why don't you listen to podcasts? And I said, what's a podcast? Like, what is that? You know? And he was like, hey, cause I've heard of it, but I didn't really know exactly, you know? And so he's like, Oh dude, it's like the radio, but it's not on radio and there's no censorship. And it's real, like really open about what they can talk about and what they can say. And there's, you know, different 
people that have all different, I mean, any topic in the world that exists, you can find a, a podcast about it. So I'm like, huh, all right. So I, so I started this, I listened to Joe Rogan. That was one of the first ones I really listened to. And then, um, and then I remembered thinking to myself, I wonder if there's any jujitsu podcasts. And at the time there were, there were a few. Um, but, uh, so I started listening to some of those a little bit. Um, and then it started to dawn on me, like, man, this is pretty cool. Like, man, I, man, this is something I could do. I, I might want to start a podcast, maybe do jujitsu and or talk about jujitsu. And I noticed that at the time, this was about 2015 ish. Um, oh no, no, no. Yeah. 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 2000, sorry. 2015 ish. And, uh, and I remember thinking to myself that there's, there's a lot of shows, the, the only, there's only a few at the time, but, but the ones that were out had, um, either a couple different hosts. So it was like a group of guys and it's kind of like a more like, kind of like a group hangout kind of chat. Uh, when, when you tune in and listen, it's, it's, it wasn't so much that they were interviewing people. It was more like two guys or three guys or four guys having conversations with themselves. And you're just sort of listening in, which, which I thought was cool. Um, but I noticed there weren't a ton of podcasts that were doing one-on-one like uh, Charlie Rose or, um, or uh, Larry King style mm-hmm. conversations where it's just one. And I'm, of course I'm, very clear i'm not comparing myself to charlie rose or larry king but i just noticed that i just noticed that there was not a lot of people doing one-on-one kind of things in that format so um so i thought man that might be kind of cool so so i I started drawing up these plans to just start a podcast and just kind of have fun with it and um and then about while i was recording my first couple interviews um the company that i was working for suddenly announced that they had lost their major uh, contracts. So they lost, they lost Comcast. And then a week later they lost AT&T. So they're like, yeah, basically guys, we, and we were getting paid on production by the way. So I was like, Oh man. So all of a sudden, like, you know, my income is like cut in half and it's like, we're making very little. And, um, and then the power starts getting cut off at our apartment and, you know, we start, uh, getting real stressed about how we're going to pay the rent and everything else. And then they basically, uh, they, they, they tried to kind of keep us on board long enough that they could pick up another big client. And it got to the point where we're like, guys, you know, my, like I got my, my powers like off. I have to, I, have, I remember specifically when I came home, my wife was all upset. So we had to empty the refrigerator and throw everything away because it was rotting. And, um, and so I went back the next day and said, guys, look, we, we gotta, you gotta either let me know whether or not you think I'm going to be able to make money here still. Otherwise I have to leave like today to find another job. And then like 24 hours later, they sent out a notice saying, Hey, look, everybody's getting laid off. We're having to shut down for now. And I don't think they even re- reopened up again, but, but the, the nice thing was they said that if you've been here for X amount of time, you will get a severance package. Cause it's, I guess it's required that they give a severance package. If you've been there a certain amount of time. So the severance package they gave me was, was enough for me to just pay rent and a couple bills for about eh, maybe like four or five months. And, uh, and so I thought to myself, okay, well, you know what? Like, I've been through working for working in warehouses for years. Uh, I've been throwing drunks out of bars for years and I don't definitely don't want to go do that again. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't really have any other like options for myself except for going back to doing stuff like that again. Let me do this podcast. Let me just see if I can make somehow some th- this work in some way. And, and, and I told my wife, like, look, I don't know if this is ever going to be anything other than just a hobby, but let me just try. Let me just see if I can build a following. And I, I see people on Instagram building followings and getting companies that send them, you know, uh, commissions for things. Uh, there's, there's ways that people make money online. Let me see whether or not this thing is, is, a, is something that can, be, that can do that. And thankfully she, she agreed to, to give me, uh, you know, a few months to, to see what we could do with it. And, um, I wasn't making money. I didn't make a penny off the podcast for about a year and a half. Um, but 
I was gaining a pretty good following and, and, and I was able to get pretty good guests because like I said, I've been training since 2005. So I've trained all over. So I was able to get pretty good guests on early on. Uh, my first episode was with uh, Dan Severn, which is a, a hilarious story if you care to hear it later. But, um, and then I had a Hoist Gracie and I had a Helsin and Go Korchevichin and my buddy Kurt Osiander was my third uh, episode. And, and so we started, you know, we started, it's just started kind of going. And, um, and next thing you know, I had, people that were kind of reaching out like, Hey man, you know, would, you know, I'd like to talk to you about maybe sponsoring your show. And, and it wasn't enough to, for, to, to live off of or anything like that, but it was, it was just cool to see that, Hey, you know what? I, it looks like there is maybe a model here. So, um, so I kept trudging along. I was working, uh, on the side as an electrical assistant with a friend of mine. Um, and that was kind of helping me pay the rent and all that kind of stuff. Once the severance package ended, uh, and then eventually we started landing bigger sponsors and better sponsors. And I was able to, to kind of pursue it full time. And, and ever since then, we've just sort of kept trudging along. Um, and uh, now we're at the point where we've got some, I mean, just amazing spot. We've got uh, BGJ Fanatics and AK Athletics and Eat Clean Bro as our sponsors. And the BGJ Box is a new one that we're with now. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm just I'm really thankful. And I just it's this thing that I just sort of fell into. And, uh, and, 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 um, um, you know, the, the best thing about it is just that I get to talk about my passion for a living and talk to people that I really respect and admire, uh, for a living. And I, I think the timing was just right. I think that I, we, I got going early enough to where there wasn't, um, a ton of other shows around. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I just, I had this, this, um, I guess just timing. I think, I think a lot of it was, was I, that I got lucky with the timing on when I started and, and, and how I did it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's been going strong for, for five years, man. So I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really, it's, it's been, it's been mind blowing. Cause I, I just figured I was going to work in a warehouse the rest of my life. So, so I'm, uh, I'm thankful, you know, there had to be a level of fear of of really committing right like i mean i i just assume i look at it from the perspective of you know you said that you dropped out of high school you know you yeah. have dealt with these jobs that uh they weren't favorable for you mm-hmm. and so then you you go in and you say hey i i want to bet on myself i think this is something that i can do there had to be am i right was there uh, was there a level of fear what was that a mental talk what was that little voice saying to you when you decided you were going to commit to trying to do a podcast yeah no great question man and yeah so the thing about being an entrepreneur no matter what you do if you own your own business and do your own thing every day you wake up with just you know this mountain of anxiety on your chest and anyone anyone listening that owns a business knows what i mean it's it's you you never really know what's going to happen out there and uh, i mean at any point podcasting can become obsolete there can be some new thing like if you talk to someone in the 80s who and you told them hey radio is going to pretty much get shoved aside by this new technology they're gonna be like what are you talking about like you know (laughs) and the same thing with you know people that were selling cds like hey there's this thing called an mp3 that's coming out and they're like ah whatever and now you know so so there's always something new coming out and so there's always that that sort of baseline of anxiety that I carry with me every day, just wondering when, when the plug on this thing is going to get pulled as, 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 as a, as a, as a, as a uh, vehicle, you know? Um, but it seems like, you know, for now we, we have a, a pretty long time to do this, but um, yeah, so there's always, there's always that. Um, the other thing I, th- I think, you know, people have asked me a lot, like what the hardest thing about running a podcast full time is. And I, I think that ultimately the, the, the very hardest thing about doing what I do is that um, regardless of what kind of day I'm having and, 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 and what's going on in my personal life and things like that, when I sit down and hit record with a guest, I have to be Johnny microphone. I got to mm-hmm. be energetic. I've got to be 
positive. I've got to be in a good mood. And I mean, dude, there have been a lot of interviews I've done where I am just, it, it, I'm just not feeling it. <laughs> and I just mm-hmm. have to, and, but I have to suck it up and I have to go. In fact, there was one, I, I interviewed Hobson Mora a long time ago and 15 minutes before uh, I interviewed Hobson Mora, I found out my grandfather passed away. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's no, can, and, and at the time I was not in the position, like nowadays, if something major happens, I can always tell the guests, hey, listen, I'm really sorry. We got to reschedule. But at that time, like getting a hold of guests was really, really hard for me. It, it, it's, it's not easy to get some of these big names sometimes. And so I knew that I, I couldn't do anything about it. And thankfully, I think if you go back and listen to the, to the episodes where I'm having a rough day or whatever, you, do, you, don't, you can't tell. Um, but that's by far the hardest thing is that, man, you, you got to forget everything else that's going on. You got to focus on your guests. You got to talk and have a good conversation. You got to uh, keep the energy positive and good. And, and that's, you know, that's um, for the most part, I'm, I'm a pretty happy guy, but man, I'm human. Like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like we all have our, our case of the Mondays and our, and our, uh, you know, our things that happen to us. And that's, I think that's probably the, the toughest thing about it. But, um, but to ask to, to answer your, your, your question, you said before about, um, you know, whether or not, um, uh, there, there's fear and whether or not, uh, what, what made me really want to commit to, to going full time. You know, I, I got married when I was 25 and, um, you know, I got really lucky because my, my wife is way out of my league and, uh, <laughs> and so I got, you know, I, 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 I was put in this position where I was kind of the, just this guy that, you know, worked security and did jujitsu all day. I was kind of just a, a bum, frankly. I did just, you know, I didn't do much with myself beyond that. I wasn't in school. I wasn't trying to like, you know, uh, pursue a career or anything like that. And, um, and then all of a sudden I, m- I met this woman and fell in love with her and, and, and we wanted to get married. And it was kind of this very sudden wake up call of like, oh, okay. Um, now I understand why f- for, you know, 15 years since I was in high school or whatever, people have been telling me, Hey man, you better figure out, you know, if you want to get an education or if you want to pursue something or learn some skills or, or do something with your life instead of just, you know, training all day and, 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 you know, partying at night and, and whatever else you're doing. And it all sort of hit me like, like, like a big wall um, because I realized like, okay, man, now I'm responsible for growing this life with my wife and, and I don't have a whole lot to bring to the table. And so, and so that was a a big thing. And and, and that was kind of my big motivator was that, you know, if if it's not this, then what is it? Like, if I'm not going to pour myself into, into, into um, making this business of mine, something that's going to be lucrative, then, then what is it then? What, what, what am I going to do? And, and is she, and is it fair for her to stick around if, you know, if I'm not able to bring in, if I'm able to just barely scrape by, you know what I mean? And the answer in my opinion would be no. So, so that was a big driver for me. And uh, I, I realized like, yeah, if I'm going to have any sort of family life or, 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 you know, evolve as a person and be a good husband to be a good provider and all that, I got to get my stuff together, like right now, like now it's go time. So, so that was a, a lot of it too, you know, and, and, that, and that was part of why, you know, with, with that drafting job, that was kind of my, my, my saving grace at the time, because it paid better than anything I'd ever done. Um, and, and then when that suddenly had the, the, the plug pulled on it, that's when I was like, Oh God, now what, you know? <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So in answer to your question, I think, I think that's what really made me kind of burn the ships behind me is because I, I, it was either that or back to the warehouse, you know, or, or, throwing drunks out of a bar, which I, I was not interested in doing anymore. So, um, so yeah, that's, 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 that's kind of, that's kind of what my motivator was at the time, man. I, man, that, that is, uh, you know, I know, I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I know, uh, 
I know the fear of trying anything new. And so uh, just kind of committing to that. And you do need, you have to have the right circumstances to be able to commit a lot of times. Uh, sometimes the right circumstances is losing a job. Sometimes it's uh, you know a new relationship. That is uh, what I always reference back to starting my own school was that I got uh, engaged. And I was like, hey, I don't, I don't, I don't do enough at my gym right now. You know, I need to, I had started my school and it was very small and I didn't really care. It was fine to be small. And uh, knowing that I now had an, someone to provide for and uh, someone that was uh, looking to me, I said, oh man, I need to figure out how to actually run a successful jujitsu business. <laughs> yeah. And so it ends up uh, that that is such a, a big motivator. Uh, before we get into my next question. I would just love if you could tell, I have heard um, the story of your first episode, but it's very interesting. I would love if you could tell uh, the story of your first episode. Sure, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, so basically, um, so I ended up, yeah, I had this whole format figured. And, and of course, at the time, when I say I had a format figured out, like, you know, my, my, so if you've ever seen, uh, if anyone follows the show, you'll notice on, on, on Instagram and on Facebook, we have a very distinct um, uh, uh, marketing style we do where we, we have a, a character of all the guests that come on the show. And that's, and that's an idea that I had early on. My wife is actually the graphic designer that draws everybody. Um, but early on, that was, the, I sort of had the, the loose idea of like, yeah, maybe we can have like, you know, um, like illustrations of the guests that come on kind of like a comic book kind of style thing uh, that looks like issues. Like I thought like, it'd be cool to have like an issue sort of thing, um, uh, like a comic book, you know, just being kind of a, a, a comic book nerd growing up. I thought that'd be kind of cool. And, uh, and then I said, yeah, and maybe I'll just do like, you know, um, I don't know, like one hour conversations where I just sort of ask about their life and sort of how they got to where they were, where they are. And besides that, that's really all I had. I just, I knew, I, I knew the list of people I would have liked to talk to. And I knew sort of the general format that I wanted to go for. And then I had the idea of illustrating, having an illustration of each guest uh, to promote it. Um, but besides that, like, you know, I was still like, dude, I'm one of the, for a podcaster, like when people, when my personal friends that have known me for a long time, find out I'm doing podcasting for a living, they're like, dude, how, how is that even like, I'm the most, dude, I'm the most analog person, you know, like I, I, I am, in fact, my buddy that helped me set up my first studio, he told me specifically, it's okay, dude, everything's in place. The knobs are where they're supposed to be. Your mixer's plugged where it's supposed to be. Don't touch anything. <laughs> Just press record and press it off. Cause I know you, you're an idiot when it comes to technology. So, so, uh, so, so I, I was still learning all this stuff. You know, I, I didn't know a lot about the technical side of things. And, uh, and so, so um, my point with all that is that, yeah, I was, I was still very much in the formational uh, uh, period of, of, of getting the thing going and understanding it completely myself. And this opportunity came up where uh, a friend of mine uh, was having um, Dan Severn come to his school to do a seminar. And I was like, oh man, like, dude, that would, he's someone on my list that would be awesome to have him as like my first episode, you know? And so I asked my friends, I man, is there any way if I, you know, if I come out to the seminar, do you think you can help me carve out like a little bit of time with him to just maybe sit and talk into, into a recorder or something? And he's like, yeah, dude, I'm sure that'd be okay. So he talked to Dan, Dan said he'd, he'd totally do it. And so, uh, and so what ended up happening was we get there and, um, and by the time the seminar's over, uh, Dan was like, Oh man, yeah, I know. I, I know I agreed to do that, but man, I got to get back to my car in Alabama. Um, because I have to basically, I have to take my rental car that I have to get to Atlanta to get back to Alabama to then drive my car back to Michigan. He says, I'll tell you what though, why not, why not, if you can give me, if you can give me a ride, I, we can, we, we can basically, I, I can return the rental car here. If you can give me a ride to Alabama, we can record it in the car. 
So I'm like, okay, all right, cool. Yeah, so it's, I basically just ended up on this random road trip with Dan Severn. And so, uh, and so we, so we first, we stop at this restaurant. We kind of started the interview on the porch of, on the patio of this restaurant, which is kind of funny. Cause like you hear like birds and you hear like a truck starting up halfway through the conversation, like right next to us on the patio. And, and, uh, and, and it, it was just, it was just cool. It was just, it was, it was, it kind of tripped me out a little bit. Cause I'm like, you know, I, I've been watching Dan Severn since I was a little kid fighting like in the UFC and stuff. And here I am, like sitting here eating tacos with him at this place. You know, it's ridiculous. Dan can eat some food, man. I'll tell you, <laughs> I've never seen someone put down food, dude. He had like he had a whole uh, like enchilada bowl thing, and then he had a second one, and then he <laughs> ate like five tacos, and then I think he had like a burrito or something after. Like I couldn't. I'm just sitting there like. Like, dude, I couldn't believe how much food he's putting down. But anyways, so so we end up on the road and and we're just talking and it's just hilarious. Man. And the stuff he's talking about, the craziness that he used to, of, of the early MMA days, like he'd tell stories how he's in like, you know, he'd be fighting in Mexico and the event where they were having like a cockfighting pit first. And then when they, and then when they clean up all the blood and feathers from the cockfighting thing, they bring MMA guys in to fight in the same spot. And it's just, and he'd fight in like horse stables. It was just, it was just the most like unsanctioned, insane stories that I'd ever heard about MMA. And so, yeah, I mean, this dude's just been through it all. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, we ended up just driving all the way to Alabama. I dropped him off where he was at and then, uh, and then he drove off. And I, I think when it was all said and done with we had like a good, like two hour, um, conversation that 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 was uh really low audio quality but you could still hear it enough to to follow and uh and it was a blast it, it was a blast and i was just the whole way home i'm just thinking like dude i was just did that just really happen like i've just really had a, a, a random road trip with dan severn and and that's the first episode man so it was and ever since then it's just been sort of uh you know no road no no other road trip episodes but uh but that's that's sort of how it all kicked off man it all kicked off with dan severn uh, driving very slow in the right lane uh, from Atlanta to to, uh, to Alabama. And the funny thing too, is like, he's like the most, Dan's the most like chill guy in a car that I've ever seen. Like there were people that were like whipping around him and like honking because he drives a little slow. And uh, and I'm just thinking like, dude, that guy that just flipped him off, if he had any idea who he was, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like he could suplex you through your hood. Like what do you think? <laughs> So uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was awesome though. But that, that was, that was pretty much the story of the first episode. In, in, in podcasting, is there anybody that you have not been able to get on that you want to get on? Yeah, there's been, man, there's been a handful. Uh, there, there's some people that are just so um, entrenched in what they do. Um, uh, I would say, um, I'm trying to think, oh, well, Carlos Gracie Jr. is someone I really would have liked to interview, uh, but he just, I guess he just doesn't do interviews. Um, he, uh, he obviously is the head of the IB owner of the IBJJF. Mm -hmm. I would, I would really like to pick his brain on some things, but he just, he just seems like he doesn't really do interviews, but man, you know, I've had, it, it, it's kind of, it, it's kind of, uh, uh, surreal when I sit back and look at the, the people I've had on, like, there's a lot of people that are hard to get that I've just been able to through hard work get to, uh, I've had, you know, Marcelo on a couple times. I've had, um, Hickson on, a, I've had Hickson on, I've had Hodger Gracie on three times, Henzo on twice, um, uh, Dan Gable. I've had a ton of the guys from the UFC. I've had Damian Maya on a couple times and 
uh, Dan Henderson and Randy Couture. So there's, there, there's been a lot of people that I would have thought, like if you had talked to me back when I was starting this thing and suggested I should try to get them, I would have laughed like, okay, well, dude, I don't know how in the hell I go about doing that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I just, I, thankfully I've, I've, I've been around long enough that I've sort of been able to, to, to know people who know people that can sort of get me in touch. And, um, and then, uh, and then it's uh, an interesting thing started happening a little over a year ago. And that is that when I message people, a lot of times, some of the responses I get, like, I'm really flattered by the response. Like, Oh dude, I've, man, I've, I was wondering if you were going to reach out to me. I'm like, dude, you were wondering if I was going to reach out to you. <laughs> like, like, man, I've, <laughs> I'm like honored to have you on the show. So it's, it's been, it's been pretty cool, man. It's been a really, a really surreal, uh, and humbling thing to, 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 to know that a lot of these people that I really admire kind of know who I am now, which is, which is just really trips me out completely, man. But, um, but yeah, but no, for the most part, it's, it's been pretty, it's, it's been, um, there hasn't been anyone that's been incredibly hard to get except for maybe Carlos Gracie Jr. And, um, and, uh, God, who else? Um, Danaher. I mean, John Danaher is real busy all the time. I, mm -hmm. I almost, I almost had him on, uh, early last year, but then, uh, he, I think he got sick and then he started to, um, at the time it wasn't COVID or anything, but he, he, he got like a, like a flu or something like that and had to, and, and they couldn't do it. And so I'm still, uh, still trying to get him on. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, it's, it's I've done about 450 episodes now. <laughs> so it's, it's, I've had almost everybody. There's not a whole lot of people I haven't had. I'm trying to think, if there's anyone that I've really tried to pursue that I haven't been able to get, I, I guess, I guess not. I guess just Carlos Gracie Jr. And Danaher have been the ones that are really, have really been uh, a little harder to get, you know? Are there any goals that you have with your podcast that you haven't met yet? Uh, anything that like kind of the future, like I would like to do this or that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would love to, um, there's two things. The first one is that, um, I, I would love to get to 500 episodes, which, which I, of course, well, I'm only about a mm -hmm. year away from, from 500 episodes. When I first started the show, I was doing two episodes a week for three years. So I would do, I would do, I would record, I would record, um, a lot of episodes and just have them kind of pushed out about a month, a month in advance and just kind of keep rolling with them. Um, so I, I did, I did two a week for a long time until I finally got to the point where I was just, man, I was kind of at a breaking point. Cause that's the other thing that's hard about running the podcast is it really is a marathon. Like, like mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're on a constant treadmill. And just when you've recorded, like when I, by the time I've booked 10 people and recorded them and edited them, by the time they're released, I'm pretty much out of episodes again and I got to do it all over again. So it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool and it's fun, but it, it, it is a job. I mean, it 100% is a job. It's, 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 it takes a lot of work. Um, I, I probably put in a good, maybe 60 hours a week doing this. Um, when you, when you total up all the writing and the editing and the booking and the, you know, all the promotional stuff we do for our sponsors and everything. So it's, it, it is a lot of work. Um, and, and it, it kind of never ends. Like I don't get a whole lot of vacations necessarily. I get, I get working vacations. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so if I'm, you know, if we're traveling somewhere, I'm usually still editing or doing something to make sure it's still operational. Um, but, um, I would, so, so yeah, we're, we're a year away, about a year away from 500 episodes. That would be a real big landmark for me is just to be able to say I had five, I've got 500 episodes coming that have put in, that have been put out. Um, and then the other thing I really, I would love to figure out the logistics of making a video show. Um, so I, I've, I've always done audio. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and I've done that just because I don't really have, you know, like, if you see my studio, my studio is not like some, 
you know, like I said, I'm a very low tech guy. So it's, 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 it's a very simple studio. It's a normal like office desk with a mixer. And I, I got a computer with a couple monitors and my, my, my mic and my pop filter and all that stuff. But um, you know, I, I would love to be able to eventually set up a, an actual proper studio where I've got a camera set up and we've got lighting and maybe a green screen behind me and, and kind of do like a, uh, like an ESPN looking sort of format of interviewing people. Like you got one guy on each side of the screen and you know it looks real good um that would that would be cool to do someday i just have to figure out um you know i need a new space frankly we'd have to we'd have we're, we're, we're actually in the market for a house we were about to buy a house right before covid hit we so we got back from brazil in february um and then we had a house under contract and then covid hit and the banks pulled everything off the table because mm-hmm. people people weren't paying their mortgages. They were freezing their mortgages because of COVID. So, uh, so unfortunately the, the whole housing market's been kind of hit pretty hard by COVID. So we're just kind of sitting in place, kind of waiting it out. But I figure once we get our house, um, I'll, I'll probably be able to maybe get like some space in a basement or something and then set up a, set up some kind of cool studio. So I think that'd be a big, a big future goal for me is to have a video studio set up to do a, a video version of the show. And it is, uh, you know, finding, finding video production. We actually started a uh, uh, production company last year for jujitsu videos and finding that stuff it, 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 there, there's a level of um uh everybody does it their own way and yeah. so just figuring out how well oh, can someone just give me a simple way to do it instead of well this is how you know i do it but it's not what you're looking for so it's not going to work it, it, it's really uh it's been a, a bit of a fight we're actually this week finishing uh our studio for the jujitsu videos that we're putting out the, the studio should be finished in a few days. Nice. And, um, it is, but it has been just trying to figure out stuff and, uh, you know, you pretty much have to just become an expert in audio video. And, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to have to do that. Um, but yeah. while actually we're on the topic of video, this was, uh, really w- when I initially messaged you, this was, really the big thing that I wanted to ask you about uh, was you did a documentary called uh, The Saint of Crackland. And it was, I I don't know um, what kind of views it's gotten, but uh, it it is absolutely uh, amazing. I really, really uh, loved it. Somebody um, that I, you know, I really, it really connected with me. My mom uh, grew up in the Philippines and uh, has since, um, since, being in America has started a, a nonprofit that does a lot of work in Haiti. And so just seeing something like that, uh, you know, close to what I do being jujitsu, I thought was just excellent. What, what inspired you to make that documentary? Oh, well, man. Well, first of all, thanks for the kind words. I, I really appreciate that, man. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, so, so basically what happened, it's kind of a funny story. So, so like I said, we moved to Brazil last year and we were living there for almost the entire year. And, um, and while I was there very early on, like, right. like within maybe a couple months of being there, I was, you know, posting on Instagram pictures of training and, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, and I got a message from, from a guy um, who was a listener of the show and he lived in Sao Paulo and uh, he was one of uh, Marco, Marco, Barbosa's students, one of his black belts. And his name is Lyle Rodriguez, really good guy. Good. One of my, one of my good buddies now. And, um, and so he messaged me and said, Hey man, you know, I, I, I wanted to let you know, I'm a huge fan of your show. I just saw that you're here in Sao Paulo. 
And uh, man, I have this social project uh, that I've been, that I, that I run and it would be, it would just be awesome to have you come check it out. If you want to just come train and visit and meet the kids, the kids have never met an American before. And uh, it would just be really cool for you to come and, 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 and check it out. And I was like, Oh dude, that'd be awesome. I'd love to, you know? So I said, where is like, what neighborhood are you in? He goes, Oh, well, it's in, it's in this area called Crocolandia. And I said, oh, okay. And I said, all right, whatever. Well, Crocolandia, it turns out is Portuguese for crackland. And what that means, what that, what crackland is, if you've, if you're familiar with Skid Row, imagine Skid Row uh, times, I guess maybe four in size. Like if you multiplied it by three or four, as far as the size of the actual area, and then you uh, insert like, you know, uh, drug cartel, not, not cartels, but like drug gangs uh, and stuff like that, 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 that kind of control the area and, and enforce things and stuff like that. Uh, it's, 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 it's Sao Paulo's most hard hit, like poverty and poverty struck area. And it's pretty much um, an ocean of, of drug addicts and dealers. And, and, and it's just this really, really horrible spot of the city. Uh, the, otherwise is a great city um, that, that, that it's just been a problem for decades for you know, for generations it's just sort of this area that's been taken over by by addicts and stuff and so I didn't know that so he, he just said it's called Krakalagia so I'm like oh yeah cool man you know and like, yeah let me, let me let me figure out where it's at and how far we are and I'll, I'll come check it out so I mentioned to my wife, I'm like, Hey babe, I'm going to go to, uh, to this, to this social project. She goes, Oh, is it like in a favela or something? Cause you know, all the social projects are usually in favelas and stuff. I said, I don't know. I think maybe he says it's in Crocolandia and she goes, Oh, hell no. She goes, no, you're not going to Crocolandia. Tell him you're sorry. You can't, you can't go there. Like, and I'm like, and I'm, and I, was, and I didn't understand. I'm like, babe, like, come on. We like, cause our apartment was like not far from like the biggest favela in Sao Paulo. So so, you know, favela is like, it wasn't something that really scared me necessarily, but she said, Ryan, it's not a favela. You need to look it up. Like you're not going there. There's no way. So I do a Google search and I start reading about it. And then I start asking people at Damien's like, Hey, like I'm thinking about going to Crocolandia. They're like, bro, do not, do not go down there. Do not go down there. And so I was kind of like, oh, damn. All right. Well, if these guys are all saying that. And if, and I guess I just, I didn't realize what it was. And so I messaged him back and I'm like, Hey man, let me, uh, let me, let me think about it a little bit. You know, I was, my wife's a little nervous about me going down there and this and that. And he's, and he was like, Oh no, I understand, man. No problem. You know, but you know, if you come with me, you'll be safe. I've been here for years. Everyone knows me, you know, and it's all that. So so time went on and time went on and, and, and every, every couple months he would message me again and be like, Hey man, you know, you're welcome to come to come again if you want, or he'd kind of invite me and I'd be like, yeah, man, let me, let me think about it, you know? And so, so eventually he, 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 uh, he invites me to just come to Barboza. So he said, man, why don't you come train with me at Barboza at the, at the very least? I said, dude, of course I'll come to Barboza. So, so we went and we trained at Barboza's together and man, like we really hit it off and it's kind of like you meet someone, you feel like you've known them for years kind of mm -hmm. thing, you know? And so Lyle and I immediately hit it off real well. And, um, and then he's talking to me a little bit more about the program, about what it, what it's done for the kids and like the things that they've, that they've, uh, so, so it turns out he's, he's produced like generations of kids um that 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 he's taken from this really really horribly hit area and got gotten them into college and gotten some have joined the military and others just have gotten good jobs uh and and, and gotten themselves out of the area and kind of broken the cycle and it, i was just sitting there thinking like dude i, I yeah i gotta see this I, I gotta go you know and so so i i, I talked things over with my wife again and told her look babe i'm gonna i'm gonna go down there it's gonna be fine and so she you know sort of she sort of accepted the idea kind of so i ended up i ended up going and, and dude it, it was it was by far the most incredible experience of my jujitsu journey like like of anything else i've done and anywhere else i've gone uh it, it was the most incredible experience i ever had it, it, because you know we all we all obviously know the great things that jujitsu does 
does for our lives and the, the impact it has on us as people. But it, it was amazing to see firsthand the power of what it can do outside of just us. You know what I mean? Like, like that you can really change the world with jujitsu. You can change uh, a generation of kids lives with jujitsu. And it was, it was just, it was incredible, man. We, we went down to the area and we went, um, it was in the afternoon. Uh, so it was, it was more tame than it is at night at night. Apparently it's just insane. Uh, like the cops don't even go in there at night. And, and so, uh, but you know, it was, it was pretty rough. Like if you watch the documentary, you know, you know we, we, we did go in there with some cameras that I had to hide because everyone like a, a bunch of people were telling me, like, if you walk around with a camera, number one, you're probably going to get robbed. First of all, they're going to take the camera from you. But secondly, if like, if drug dealers see you out there filming and serve, they're going to think you're some sort of surveillance they're, they're you're going to get shot. So just, don't let them see cameras. So we had to kind of hide it. So I can only, you can only see sort of what's in the dashboard of the car as we're driving through. Uh, but it picks up a lot of stuff, man. I mean, there, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a pretty, uh, a pretty surreal um, thing to see just how bad things can get out there. And, and, um, and then when we got in there, it was just like this complete, um, safety zone within this within this it was like an oasis in this little uh in this really bad area and then you meet the kids and it's just like dude the kids are just so stoked to be there and like you know a lot of them compete and do, and do well in tournaments and and they they it just gives them this really safe cool place to be and he's got this um he's got this uh like kitchen set up in there where they cook food for the kids and give them food to take home and and uh they have fresh geese that they do all the laundry for the kids and they and they uh and then they have a classroom where they where they help them with their homework so it's basically a way to completely get these kids off the street and into a place until it's time to go home at night when their parents are are at, at home you know and, um, and so I decided, you know, I said, you know, I'm going to take my camera and I just had this digital SLR camera, a little Nikon, uh, digital SLR. And, uh, and I decided I'm just going to film what's going on. And as we start going and as I'm start filming stuff, I'm like, dude, I'm going to keep, I'm going to get as much footage here as I can. Cause I, I think this could be a really cool, like mini documentary, like a story. Cause I, I really wanted to highlight what Lyle was doing. Um, like that's why I call it the saint of crackland. Cause it's like, this guy is just this, this figure that is in, um, in, in Sao Paulo's worst area. And he's dedicated his life to doing this. This is what he does full time. He, he, he has a couple sponsors, uh, like local companies in Sao Paulo that, that uh, give ch to charity. Uh, like, I guess there's some wealthy jujitsu people uh, that are involved in this business and they give him uh, charitable donations to help so that he can run the place. And, um, and that's just what he does. That's his life focus. And I just, I just thought it was the most incredible, most meaningful uh, program I'd ever seen. And so, uh, so that's what it is, man. Yeah. It's called the saint of crackland and uh, just kind of documents my, my time spent there, but, it, but I, you know, I, I obviously make the focus very little about myself. It's, it's all about Lyle and, and, um, and his program and sort of what, what jujitsu has done for these kids. And uh, I'm really looking forward to potentially going back to Brazil this year. Maybe we're going to try to go back this year if we can uh, and doing like a follow-up. I'd love to just drop in and see, you know, what the kids have been doing since then and, and uh, talk to Lyle a little bit on camera and ask him what new things have been going on with the program. But, um, but yeah, it, it was easily just the, the coolest experience that I've, that I've been through in jujitsu. I, uh, yeah, I just, I highly recommend to anyone uh, to, check that video out if they wanted to watch that how would they go about that 
Yeah, sure. Thanks. It's on YouTube. So if you just YouTube the Saint of Crackland, uh, it'll pop up. Now, something happens. We, we, it started to really generate a lot of you. It sat there since April. I released it in April of last year of, of 2020. And it sat like for, you know, I got like a thousand views in like four months. So it, it sat there kind of slow. And then all of a sudden the algorithm picked it up and it got all the way up to like 30,000 views. And then, um, and then something happened. Someone, I guess someone reported it uh, that, that it was, or maybe YouTube, it might've been YouTube that, that, that saw it and said, Hey, uh, it turns out this is not a all audiences video. This is going to be a, a mature audiences only kind of thing. And the reason for that is there's, there's a couple scenes that, that, that I got from, I got some footage from the Sao Paulo police department that they provided me um, of like, you know, there, there's scenes of like a couple people that were shot and you, you don't actually see that like the bullet wounds or anything, but you can see there's someone laying there that's been shot. And, uh, and then there's a scene as we're driving through Crackland, there was, there was some people that were uh, openly having sex on the street. Um, and, and I blurred it out really thickly. So you can't even tell what that is unless I say what it is. Um, but I guess because of that content, YouTube was kind of like, yeah, this is kind of, this isn't like an all audiences kind of thing, even though I was trying to make it, you know, a very positive, like, you know, uplifting story, you mm -hmm. have to kind of, you have to kind of highlight what, what, what is going on in this area to be able to emphasize how great this program is and how great that these kids are getting taken out of this area, you know? Um, and so I, but I guess because of that, it, it's an, it, you have, you have to now sign into YouTube. So you have to be signed in and mark that you're 18 to watch it. Uh, but it's, but it's there, it's, it's there, it's on YouTube. If you just type in the saint of Crackland, that's, that's the best way to find it. And yes, so that is, uh, uh, something that, I, I mean, of course I, I uh, have always listened to your podcast. So I thought it'd be cool to have you on the podcast. But then after watching that, uh, that was really the big thing that I wanted to, you know, to ask you about just kind of what the inspiration was uh, about that. Because I thought that that video is just, uh, and at the time that I had seen it, I thought there was only like a 1000 views. And I was kind of shocked by that. I was like, man, this is so good. People should, people really should check this out. And uh, uh, I think uh, I, I highly recommend it to anybody. It's not, it's not super long. How long is it? Oh, no. Well, for, I appreciate all, all the kind words, man. It, it's only about 30 minutes. It's, I think it's about 30 minutes long. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, 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 like I said, it started to get some more views since you first saw it, but then it's, it's sort of petered off a little bit, I think, just because um, of, of the idea that people have to sign in to watch it, you know? Um, but I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping more people see it and kind of get an idea of, of what Lyle's doing down there. And then at the end, there's, there's, there's uh, information about how people can donate to Lyle if they want, if they want to contribute in some sort of way. Um, if you're ever in Brazil, you can, you can certainly visit if you, if you care to traverse the, uh, the area and, uh, and then, uh, he takes, you know, uh, like PayPal donations to buy geese and, and, and books and things like that for the kids. So, so, so yeah, the more, the more people that can get out there, the better just to, to help Lyle run it more effectively, you know? So I definitely appreciate, appreciate you helping me, you know, spread the word about it. For sure, man, for sure. So, uh, at this point, we're already over on time, but I always have to finish the podcast with the same question. Uh, are you cool with that? Or do you have of to course. go right this second? No, 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 man. Go ahead. I'm All ready. right. So um, the, the scenario is this. Uh, uh, Ryan decides he wants to do a seminar. You're doing a jujitsu seminar. Do you, ever, you ever teach, do you ever teach seminars? I teach a private classes every now and again. Uh, but I've, no, I've never, I've never taught a seminar or anything. I've, I've brought people into Atlanta to do grappling central seminars. I had Frank Mir here and I had uh, Henry Aikens here, but we haven't done one in a little, in a little while. Uh, but I have not, I've not personally taught a, a seminar before. 
Okay. So let's say, I mean, we could even keep it as a private class, but let's say seminar. Let's go. Let's say that Ryan's teaching a seminar 2021. Everybody's got COVID vaccines and we can train jujitsu again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're going to do uh, a seminar, a, uh, uh, maybe two, three, four stripe white belt raises his hand. And he says, Ryan, I suck at jujitsu. How do I suck less at jujitsu? Mm, good one. So the first thing I would say is that everybody sucks at jujitsu. It just depends on what degree you suck mm -hmm. at. And, 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 and even if you're at the bottom to where you suck more than everybody else, so did everyone in the room. Everyone, everyone started at that same, at that same spot. And what I would say to suck less at jujitsu, one of the best things I ever did, uh, from in my training was, uh, advice that was given to me actually on the show by Rafael Lovato jr. Um, he, he, he was talking about the importance of note-taking and keeping a journal of your training and writing down what you're learning. And he was making it, he, and he said to me like, you know, I don't understand how someone can go through training and go through the motions and not write down what they're learning. He says, if you're doing that, you're just kind of showing up and going through the motions. Like your brain, it, it, you, you, have, you only have so much space on your hard drive, you know, uh, you're not going to remember every little detail. So write it down. So that, that, that'd be the first thing I'd say is make sure that you're writing down what you learn and just learn to be a note taker. Even if you're not good at it, just learn to take notes. Um, the second thing I would say is that, um, one of the best things you can learn in jujitsu to, to have a good foundation is the idea of having a, a home base, pick a home base, pick up whether it's a closed guard or, or, a, or a variation of open guard or, or a top position or a passing position that you really feel comfortable with, pick a home base that you are always that, that, that that's always your destination uh, rather than just, you know, trying to, 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 to swim in the ocean without really having a, a direction to swim to, it's good to kind of know what ultimately you're working towards. And I think that when you start with a home base and, and you know how to kind of build your way out from there, but also to retreat back to it, that helps you, that helps you suck a little less. It gives, it gives you sort of a, a sense of uh, comfort, a comfort zone that you can kind of get to. And, uh, and when you have that, I think that building your way outwards becomes a little easier because you can always run home if it's not working. So that makes a ton of sense. And it gives you a place to, uh, to focus on getting to. Sometimes yes. when you just focus on, I'm going to tap my opponent out, uh, yes. you're like, with what, you know? And so I <laughs> right. think, uh, yeah, that is an excellent answer. Uh, to the how to suck less. And uh, just thank you so much for being on the podcast, Ryan. I really enjoyed this conversation. Oh man, Josh, I had a blast, buddy. I really appreciate you. Dude, you, you you're a great interviewer and, uh, and I'm really uh, flattered to be here. So thank you very much for having me, man. You have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too, buddy. And that is the episode. I uh, just want to give a huge thank you to Ryan for being on the show. I really enjoyed uh, getting to talk to him and, and also, uh, if you guys, if you guys watch that that Saint uh, of Crackland, and you uh, feel the same way I felt about it, I, I challenge you guys to, even if it's very small, to make a donation uh, to that. There's there's all kinds of information on how to do that. Uh, I never challenge you guys to make a donation to anything. I actually always joke that I uh, I donate to nothing and I refuse to support local. Uh, I only. You know, I will only donate to things that I actually feel a need. And um, that was something I think that you guys may, you know, you may watch it and maybe you don't. Maybe you're just a cold hearted person. And you're horrible and you hate everyone. Uh, but if you are not like that and, and it is uh, something that you see that is good, I, I challenge you guys to, to make a donation. I never, ever uh, 
challenge you guys to do anything like that. Uh, pretty much everything I give away from the podcast is free. All the content that I give away is free. Uh, and so that's just uh, just a little challenge to you guys. Uh, also, uh, be sure to check out Ryan's podcast, the, the Grappling Central podcast, if you guys haven't. It is uh, for sure one of my favorites. I, I tell you guys all the time what my favorite jujitsu podcasts are. And so uh, it is one of my favorites usually uh, podcast exclusivity is not a thing. You know, usually uh, we're all only putting out one a week and people like to listen to a lot of them. So I think that you guys, if you have not ever checked out the Grappling Central podcast, uh, you will really enjoy it because some of the guests are just awesome. And then Ryan just does a great job interviewing. And so that is all I have for you guys today. Uh, I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you guys got something out of it. Hope it helped you guys out. I hope that you guys have been following my email list. If you guys aren't a part of it, you can get on simplifyingjujutsu.com, sign up for my free ebook, and you will be able to get on. And you guys have been following this email list, so you guys have seen some of the, the cool pictures and stuff that I've been sharing of our new studio being built. And most importantly, I hope that you guys suck just a little bit less at jujutsu.